0: Hmm. Good evening, everyone. Does that sound okay back there? It's good. It's nice to see your faces. I can see your faces here. Hmm. So, when I began my practice, I began with the Thich Nhat, Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh's Plum Village Sangha. And I was given a name in the Sangha that translates in English to peaceful or joyful gardener of the heart. And I hadn't much particularly thought of myself as being peaceful or joyful at that time. And really, in fact, quite the opposite. And secretly, I was hoping that they would give me a name like Braveheart or Thunder Mountain. And I thank them, thank the brothers and sisters for the name that they'd given me, but, but said that uh, given at that time what I thought was my sometimes aversive or prickly personality, that I wasn't deserving of, of such a name. And one of the nuns who knew me said, she nodded wide-eyed and she said, oh yeah, we know, <laughs> we know. But it's who you are to aspire to. Right? You keep planting the seeds, you water them, bring them to the light of awareness, and you will grow into your name. Quiet the mind and tend to the heart with the faith brought about by the light of awareness, by the trust and confidence built in this moment-to-moment practice. And I kind of, I did my yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And so here. Here I am, after all these years, still sitting with this intention to quiet the mind and tend to the heart. And at times, I've, I've, I've seen the mind, at times, quiet, and I've seen the heart open. And I now believe I can like full, wholeheartedly say that I actually live with this complete trust and confidence in this path. And I'd like to, to share some reflections with you about faith, or better still, trust and confidence, and really meant to encourage and inspire you to practice with a gentle perseverance, or relax to gentle perseverance. And I believe the heart does actually know its own terrain. The heart-mind knows its own terrain. It remembers And sometimes I believe we connect with, and in this light of awareness, we connect with what I call, or what I learned to call the, this old landmark, that which is timeless, that which we come to know for ourselves through direct experience, that which is onward leading. Akaliko, ehipasiko, panaiko. And that connection brings about this trust and confidence in the practice that is needed and that will serve us well as we're on the path. So as a children's book author, I, I taught kindergarten for, for a number of years and worked with, with youth for many years and did a lot of storytelling and reading of books for, for children. So Maurice Sindak is a late children's book author, writer. He wrote a book called uh, Where the Wild Things Are. And... Sindak tells a story of a letter that he received that revived his faith and his practice and his craft. So where the wild things are is a story of a little boy named Max. And Max rages against something. He's raging against his mother for being sent to bed without dinner. And so Sindak receives this letter and a card with a drawing from a little boy. He loved it and, and he said it inspired him and greatly boosted his faith. And he had regularly received letters from children. He rarely wrote back. But this one he lingered over. He sent the boy a postcard and drew a picture of a wild thing. Dear Jim, I wrote, I loved your card. Soon after, he gets a letter back from Jim's mother, and she said, Jim loved your card so much, he ate it. Mm-hmm. And Sindak said it was one of the highest compliments he'd ever received. Jim didn't care that it was original Maurice Sindak drawing, possibly worth thousands of dollars. He saw it, he loved it, and he ate it. Faith restored, and not to mention appreciative joy at its absolute finest. So, Sadha. Sada, S-A-D-D-H-A is this Pali word whose scriptural translation is roughly to place the heart upon. And often translated as faith, trust and confidence is what's being pointed to when I hear the word sada. And the Buddha taught that his teaching should be examined and practiced and if found useful to develop further. And our ability to do this practice to benefit onward leading to liberation and awakening can hinge on trust and confidence, faith. This trust and confidence is known to us in the steadiness of coming back to the hall to take the seat, the steadiness of coming back to the breath, the steadiness of noticing old stories, habits, patterns. It's known in the arising and passing of sensations. and knowing contact at the sense doors. It's known in the opening of the heart. It's known in the sense of awareness imbued with compassion. And it's all done through direct experience and moving at the speed of trust. And this sets the heart-mind in the direction of wholesome states with which a relaxed effort... And gentle perseverance of practice begins to stir the heart-mind to be responsible for what it's doing. Trust and confidence then become the sustaining energy that keeps us moving along the path. Now, when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about blind faith or belief in something without any basis at all. But rather, we're talking about a faith that arises from direct experience and understanding of the Dhamma. This faith is based on our own experience and the insights that we gain from it. And faith can be thought of as trust in the process, process of the practice, and in the potential for liberation that it offers. And when we have faith in the Dhamma, we're not looking for quick fixes or instant gratification. Instead, we put in the time and the effort that's required to cultivate these qualities of mindfulness, wisdom, and compassion. We're inspired to continue practicing even when it's difficult, when it's challenging, and when we're not seeing those quote-unquote immediate results. It doesn't mean that we blindly follow a teacher or a tradition without thoroughly checking it out, questioning, or investigating Instead, faith is, this, is, is combined with wisdom, which allows us to discern what is true and what is not and to investigate the teachings for ourselves to see that they are in line with our own experience. Do not believe anything just because I said it, because a great elder has said it, because you've read it in a sacred text. Put it into practice. See for yourself what is true. The words of the Buddha. Or really, this is a paraphrasing of the words of the Buddha from the Kalama Sutta, where he advises that the words of the wise should be heeded and taken into account, but that one's own direct experience should be called upon in a personal testing to identify those truths which verifiably reduce one's own dukkha. So years ago, I had a chance to, I worked one-on-one with an incarcerated man who developed quite a strong practice, and he'd been locked up for decades, and at this point, he was locked up 23 hours a day with one hour out for physical exercise, and he used his time well. And we would always joke that, that he, or this was his framing of this, is that he was using all of his time to work off his karma, to reorient this troubled mind. With this hope of healing himself. And so we worked on the Anapanasati Sutta. And he memorized and wholeheartedly took up the practice of these 16 steps in the Anapanasati Sutta. And he spent actually years doing this, just doing that. And it was really one of the more lovely and profound expressions of practice that I've ever witnessed. And so we would meet via phone and via these handwritten letters. And we discussed these words of the Buddha, the beauty and value in absorbing the Dhamma in this way the wonder that we both had in knowing some of the context and backstory in which the Buddha gave this teaching. The environment, the venerables that were present. And we would read the sutta over the phone, committing it to memory, trading off, call and response, and regularly practicing these 16 steps. And because of our really unwavering commitment to each other and to the continuity of practice, the seed of faith took hold and bloomed as we both gain great trust and confidence in the practice, really staying the course. And we began to notice the arising of this felt sense of metta and mudita each time we met. And afterwards, as we would read and listen to the Dhamma together, he would close his eyes and allow the Dhamma to to flow, to be heard, to be known in the heart, mind, and body, allowing it both to wash over, and absorb, in contention with nothing at all, wanting nothing, just this deep listening of the Dhamma. And the conversations often, I mean, there was very little other than, you know, a hello, and then we would get started immediately, because we often didn't have much time. And so typically, you know, I would get this call that said it was a collect call from uh, California Corrections, And he would pop onto the phone, and immediately he would start in after I said hi. I heard these words of the Buddha one time when he was staying in Savati, in Jetta's Grove, in Anathapindika's Park, with many well-known and established disciples. There was the Venerable Sariputta, the Venerable Maha Moggallana, the Venerable Maha Kasapa, the Venerable Maha Kachyana, Kotiya, Kapana, Chunda, the Venerable Rawata and Ananda. And on that occasion, the senior monks were teaching and instructing, some 10 and some 20. And we both learned this sutta, and that was just a, a, a brief introduction, but that was one that um, we both developed a great deal of trust and confidence in the practice. And it was actually my first experience of seeing the power of the practice. So another illustration. So on. Friday, March thirteenth, 2020. I came into the hall at the forest refuge. I was sitting, sitting there and I took my seat as I had done almost every day for a little over a month. And at some point during the day, a note with multiple arrows I had noticed was positioned, multiple arrows positioned around it on the whiteboard. Asking all the yogis to come into the hall at seven o'clock. A teacher came in and we sat for a while and she sounded the bell and began to tell us what was happening in the world, the COVID pandemic, which when I was at home in the beginning of January was only thought to be in China and was now worldwide and many folks had died and the borders were to most countries were being closed and we hadn't had any of this news And we were told that the FR would be closing in four days. And I was expecting, You know, many of us were expecting to stay for a few more weeks or a few more months. I had a dear friend who was supposed to be there for the entire year. And for the first time, several of us had made eye contact and we were communicating via facial expressions and hand gestures and there were audible gasps in the room. And I immediately felt this instant worry and wondering about friends and family. And there was this palpable sense of of great fear and anxiety, sadness, confusion, restlessness. And the mind wanting to latch on to all of these things and it began to create stories. Stories in the mind were already being fabricated. And instead, it took a couple of moments and there was a deep, audible breath that I had, and I felt the arising of compassion. And it was almost a choice point right there, believing these stories or being in the light of awareness, having this compassion coming up and realizing that that was the truth. That was the experience that was actually happening. And there were tears as the heart, mind, and body settled for a few minutes. I made my way to a space that was created for all of us to make arrangements to leave. We all formally met and talked for a bit. And very late that night, I made my way back into the hall and sat for quite a long time. And one by one, others came into the hall and we joined each other. And we moved the cushions out of the way and created a circle, and we sat in a circle facing each other. And for the next couple of days, we toggled back and forth between a little bit of talking, updating each other on this increasingly devastating, shocking, and unbelievable news that we were getting from the outside. Making arrangements, checking on family, and practicing through all of it. Sitting and walking, and metta practice, and compassion practice. And it was quite remarkable because we didn't abandon practice, and we didn't retreat from the world. And if I hadn't known that I wasn't already in the right place, on the right path, then I absolutely knew it in that moment. I, along with others, integrated practice and the world in a way that I had never done before. And the yogis began to leave one by one over the next few days. And on the 16th, there were only three of us there. And we sat side by side up front. And we chanted in the morning. And we sat for quite a while, quietly, And my tinnitus came back, I have tinnitus occasionally, and it came back, and this was one of the first times that I actually could rest listening to it, listening to this sound of silence in that moment, with everything else receding to the background. And eventually I got up from my seat and with Total trust and confidence in the teachings and the practice, and I made my way out. And the forest refuge closed for the first time. And I remain friends with a number of the folks that, that I sat with on that retreat. And we still get together via text and, 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 and talk about. Um, and the conversation still is around um, our amazement and the power that with all of that going on that we were able to notice with all certainty the mind leaving and thoughts leaving and the mind coming back and being steady in the seat so one last example So several years back, I had an opportunity to teach actually one of my first retreats at Spirit Rock. And at the same time, I was leading a class for beginners at East Bay Meditation Center in Oakland, California. So I was driving from Spirit Rock into downtown Oakland. And I arrived at the center this day, and there was a massive protest about to take place and there were a few thousand people that were there at the protest. And I didn't know that there was a protest happening and most of us didn't didn't know that. And it was suggested that we cancel is a protest is downtown Oakland the center's downtown Oakland and it was pretty much surrounded by thousands of people and and I felt that If the practice couldn't hold this, I actually didn't want to be a practitioner. So there wasn't a point in me canceling. And from my seat at the front of the room, I could see helmets and batons. So it was a row of windows off to both sides. And I could see and hear the batons pounding on hands and marching, helicopters, smell of smoke, sirens, Yelling, chanting, you could see lights from the news vans, cops in military formation, there were groups of people preparing for battle. We sat down and there was some discussion about what to do. And a lot of people were upset with me and said that we should be all be out there doing something and not sitting there doing meditation and I thought, this, this, is, oh, this is my 15 minutes. I'm about to be canceled here. Here we go. And if you know me, I kind of like live for those moments. So I was kind of like, OK, bring it on. So a number of folks were frozen. And some, right, there were quite a few tears. And there was a lot of fear that was there in the room. And I offered to those that wanted to go out to at least sit with us for a little bit before you go out, to fortify yourself, to go out somewhat clear, to go out embodied. Let's practice first. So over the next, over the course of the next couple of hours, we held each other by practicing together as best we could. Some stayed the entire time. Some left and came back. Others I never saw again. And there were a lot of tears. And the vibe in the room was quite remarkable. It was really this Island of calm that was surrounding the storm, surrounded by the storm, and as we finished up the practice for that evening, it really seemed that the, the tears that were there were this this due to this deep happiness and it was this deep happiness that seemed to be louder than our collective trauma, and this deep knowing that Such is this life this is this is what happens. this is this is the human experience. this is what happens to us and several years later, a number of the folks told me that this was a great opening to the power of practice for them, and really, what they were pointing to was this newfound trust and confidence, faith in the sangha, the teachings, in their own direct experience of the practice. Bhavana maya panya, this direct experience, of the practice. So every, every moment of mindfulness can be this confirmation of faith, of trust and confidence in ourselves and our practice, onward leading towards awakening. So I left soon after closing up shop, not knowing that there was a, now a curfew in place and I was stopped a few blocks later. And I've been stopped many times in my life, so this wasn't an unusual thing. But I was thrown to the ground, and after the initial shock and confusion, anger and fear arose. That was known. And then there was rage, and the body contracting and tensing up. And then a really interesting thing happened. I was able, in that moment, to not contract, to no longer contract. I let go of all holding, began to focus on my breathing. Things slowed down. It was almost as if time seemed to stop in that moment. And I paused, trying to make sense of it briefly. And this is all split seconds. Anger was present. There was the color red, the color orange. There was tightness around my chest. There was heat. There was pulsing. There was stabbing. There was fear. Embarrassment. There was labored breathing at the nostrils and mouth as I was trying to catch my breath at some point. There was sweat running into my eyes, and I briefly had this thought of, God, I wish I had eyebrows. (laughs) That actually happened. (laughs) There was stinging. I could feel the weight of another human foot on my back, the asphalt digging into my skin. And there was this experiencing the full range of thoughts, emotions, sensations, fully present and aware with this almost turned within monitoring of the heart, mind, and body. And all before being able to say anything, they let me up, they told me to leave. And as I walked away, I made eye contact with the officers and they were in these crouched down positions, hands on guns, and I saw what I perceived to be agitation and anger, fear, anxiety, And I lightly touched my chest, my heart, and I took a few full, deep breaths. And in my mind, I said, I'm okay, I'm okay. And you know what? In that moment, I was okay. I was truly okay. I was clear, I was balanced, I was in my body. I could feel my feet and my socks. I could feel my weight on the earth. I could feel the cool evening air on my skin. I was present, unafraid, and aware. I walked several blocks down and circled around and true to my not really paying attention to authority I turned around and decided to join the protest (laughs) and it was trusting was trusting this practice knowing that whatever my experience was whatever my experience is that was the practice it was pausing. It was making a way for titrating to happening to happen to resourcing to kick in. And all of that is what supported me in being embodied and not simply being distracted, fearful, reactive, disassociated. And truth be told, right, I'm not saying that that's where you need to be, but truth be told, if I had remained reactive... And disassociated in that moment of great distress, it makes perfect sense. So I'm forever grateful. And I'm still deeply humbled, humbled by and in awe of the power of this practice and of the simple power of awareness. Sumajan Sumedo. Awareness is your refuge. Awareness in the changingness of feelings, of attitudes, of moods, of material change, and emotional change. Stay with that. Because it's a refuge that's indestructible. It's not something that changes. It's a refuge you can trust in. This refuge is not something you create. It's not an ideal. It's very practical and simple, but easily overlooked and often not noticed. When you're mindful, you're beginning to notice. It's like this. Awareness is your refuge awareness of the changingness of feelings of attitudes of moods of material change and emotional change stay with that because it's a refuge that's indestructible it's not something that changes it's a refuge you can trust in this refuge is not something you create it's not an ideal it's very practical and simple but easily overlooked and often not noticed. When you are mindful, you're beginning to notice. Right now, it's like this. So let's sit for a moment. Allow the words to wash over you. What's helpful and supportive and resonate, then it'll be there, and what wasn't will quickly go away. with gratitude for all of the teachers in this long lineage of ours, may the merits of this practice benefit all beings and bring about peace. you for your practice. So if you'll have time for walking at 8.15 and chanting at 9 o'clock. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.